time that that word was used in the entire Old Testament. So you couldn't put it in context with any other word. So you had to really start digging and finding some scholars. And it seems to mean that uh, the confusion was it's the word that was Y-E-M. So the vowel pointings wasn't written in the early Hebrew. It was only the consonants. And the vowel pointings was put in later. And they'd put an O, Y-O-M, for like what water is. But this was Y-M and they'd added an E. So some translated it mule. And some translated it as water or hot springs. If you have like an ESV or an NIV, it was hot springs. And it's like, what does it really mean? And when you dug down, it talked about how there was one version that gave the truth of what was actually going on. And that was called the Jubilee 2000 Bible. And the Jubilee 2000 translation said, Ana, who invented mules while he was in the wilderness watering the asses for his father and so what we what we really found out was was that God even from the beginning in Genesis 1 he said I'm going to give you herbs bearing seed after it's what kind I'm I'm going to give you trees that bears fruit with seed after it's kind and so God we went through all the scriptures how that God didn't even want them wearing garments that were mixed. That you either wore a linen garment that was all linen or you wore a woolen garment all wool. But you didn't mix those things. God did just like day doesn't mix with night. Light doesn't mix with dark. God uses these things to show us that there's a separation. And that he uses them so that we think about being separate from the world. And we are holy. And what this lineage of Esau did, who has always despised their birthright and despised the things of God, it saw that he wasn't um, happy with just having um, donkeys and asses or horses. He started playing God with those and mixed them and invented a mule. And so that's what we had found out. So that's the kind of stuff we're studying on on Wednesday night. So if you want to come out and check it out... uh, Uh, Thursday is the ladies journaling Uh, today we have a pantry after services and I'll explain about the pantry at the end because we didn't get a load from Midwest this time and it was my fault and I'll explain more about it so all we got was what we ordered from gleaners and uh, it might be slightly light but I think the Lord has blessed us with what we have and anything that you need you take And if you don't need it, but you know a neighbor or you know somebody in your family that needs it, take it to them and use it as a way of evangelism to say, hey, God supplied this for us, and we would like to supply you with that and let you know that God loves you. And so use that. And uh, before we pray in, I was telling Doug and Holly over there this morning that I always worry that my lessons are too long. And so I cut out about three pages last night because I thought, no, I'm not going to preach that long this time. But then this morning, my heart was worked up that you need to go ahead because what it was is tomorrow's spring. Today, tonight, tomorrow is spring, and we're going from winter to spring. And I look out there, and I see all those trees that are barren right now, and everything looks dead. But you know what? If you look close, they're starting to come alive. 
and there's starting to be little buds growing and little leaves growing, and pretty soon now all of this is going to change. And I thought about us. You know, as before we find Christ, we're really like walking dead, aren't we? I mean, in actuality, we might, we might look like we're alive, we might look like everything, but we're really not. And my heart was led to Ephesians chapter 2. And he's talking about you and I in Christ after we've, we've believed in him. And it says, You, God has made alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sins. And see, before that, we didn't know that. As we walked in this world and did the things of life, we didn't know that we was already dead and walking in our trespasses and sins, in which we once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Did you know that? That before we made that commitment to Christ, we thought we were having a good time, but we was really walking after the course of the devil, the prince of the power of the air, and after his ways. And the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So all of those who are in this world that are not in Christ, just going about doing their thing, the Bible calls them sons of disobedience because they've not obeyed the gospel of Christ. And they're following after that's that which is wrong. But he says, don't come down on them harshly because among whom you also once all conducted your way of life in that very same realm that we were going about in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of our mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, just as those others are now. But God... And how many times do we say that we like the buts in the Bible? I love it when it says, but God, or but Christ. And it says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love wherewith he loved us, that even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And by grace have you been saved. Amen. So, you know what? We were like that, weren't we? Like right now, like those trees that looks like they are dead. We were walking dead in trespasses and sin. But just like spring comes and those things spring to life, that in Christ Jesus, through but God, through Christ, provided a way for life. And I am so thankful and happy about that, aren't you? So as we get ready to worship the one who loved us that much, that even while I was dead in trespasses and sins, he loved me enough and loved you enough to send his son to die upon that cross so that we might have that gift of everlasting life through him who paid our way. So as we prepare to worship that kind of God that loved us that much, let us bow and prepare our hearts and our minds for the word of God for a moment. Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're going to talk about today. We've, you look out among this, this house of God, this house that is your house filled with your children. 
And Father, each and every one have come in here this day to worship you. They sing your praises. We, we teach each other in our songs. How about there ain't no grave going to hold this body down? How about there was a war, there was a battle, and the Lord came back and he won. He fought that battle and won the victory over death. And one day he's coming back as the lion to take full reign again of his creation. And that's what we're going to study about this day, Lord. And Father, as we worship you and we sing these praises and we pray from our heart, we now have fellowship with you and your word that you have given to us. It is manna from heaven. And Father, may we feast upon it. May we be filled. May we be just edified. And Father, as we are edified and filled by your word, may it be that we glorify you and exalt you. For you are the only true and living God. So may our worship this day, Father, and our fellowship with you in the word bring you joy and be pleasing in your sight, Father, for that's, that's our goal. And we ask all of these things and we're thankful for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, Zechariah 6, you're speaking about being someplace for a while. This is the third week here. And I just want to wrap it up today. I'm not going to go in depth on, on Zechariah 6. I want to take us to where it was pointing us to these last two weeks that we've been starting in. And then we will uh, move on. Something that I came across as I sat down to write. What I, what I want to take us to today is, is to what will it look like as the end of time is coming upon us. Uh, because that's what Zechariah is kind of pointing to in, in chapter 6 with this vision. What's it going to look like? And as I sat down to write about what that might look like for us, this popped into my head. And so I wrote it down. What the Father has left for us in His Word is not meant to frighten us, but to enlighten us. You know, the things that we're going to talk about today, they might frighten those who are outside of Christ, who are not filled with the Holy Spirit, who do not have that understanding and discernment. But for those who are in Christ Jesus and they are filled with His Spirit, to be able to see the signs of the times like the sons of Issachar did uh, in the Old Testament. That he wrote those things to enlighten us, not to frighten us. And also to motivate us to be able to teach those who do not know these things so that they will no longer be frightened, but that we can enlighten them and bring them around to Christ Jesus. And we left off in Zechariah chapter 6. So as we keep this, as we stutter it, Keep in mind that it's about patterns, that the Bible is about patterns and it lists those patterns in there for us so that as we see that those things happened, we can be assured that the same patterns and the same outcomes will happen in the end. And that's why God put those there. When we first opened up this chapter, we saw four chariots and we saw those four chariots coming out between two mountains of bronze and we saw that each one of the chariots had different colored horses. There was red horses, black horses, white horses, and dapple-colored speckled horses. 
And man, we talked about those and what it meant. And the, it was the bringing of the different judgments coming out into the world. It was, it was the encampment of the Lord telling his armies to get out and to get moving. And then we saw last week that there was these three men who came from Babylon. That they were Jewish men who had been a part of the captivity. And the Lord's word had, been, had said several years ago in the time of, of uh, Nehemiah and Haggai and Ezra to get out and to get moving and rebuild my place and to rebuild my temple. And a lot of the people stayed back because they were at ease. They had, they had molded into society and they really didn't care to break away from that. But now finally as the movement of God was coming and these warnings were coming out to get ready these three men from, that were Jewish men who were in Babylon, they came out of there and they came to Joshua the high priest bringing their gifts and they, they were very well off and they made crowns out of their gifts, uh, one of silver and one of gold. And it says we're going to put those upon Joshua the high priest and we saw that one of those crowns was for the priesthood of silver and one was for the royalty of gold and it was all pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because after Melchizedek, there is not another king who is also a priest because the priestly lineage was of Aaron and the sons of Aaron and Levi and the um, royal lineage had started coming underneath of David and that promised that there would always be a king that way. But they put both crowns on Joshua pointing forward to the time when the real king of kings and lord of lords who is both a priest, our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ and the king of God for the throne of David that we studied all last week. And it's pointing to that time. And it also said in there that it was a representation of the man whose name is the branch. And we went into detail on who that was too. And it was talking about the Lord Jesus. And if you look up there, uh, it says that the crowns in verse 14, that these three men brought and that you have made, to hang them for a memorial in the temple of the Lord. You see, the reason it's a memorial was so that it, would, it is pointing to the fact that Christ will come. And he says there, and they left off, they, they that are from far off will come and build the temple of the Lord, and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and that all of this will come to pass if you diligently serve and obey me. So in other words, he's saying, by building this temple, it is an assurance that the rest of my word will come true too. Just like I told you this would, as it does, it's pointing to the fact that my word will come true in the end of times as well, that I will send my son to, to be that one. And you said we were talking about patterns, patterns in this. Well, you think of a pattern when the branch, the Lord Jesus Christ was born. Who came to see him from afar off? Shepherds first, and then who came? The wise men, right? And where did they come from? The east, they came from Babylon. The wise men came from Babylon bringing gifts. What did these guys, they come from Babylon bringing gifts, pointing to 
the one who would be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So there's so many patterns that begin to unfold in here. The patterns of the horses and the colors and the chariots, it runs all the way into Revelation chapter 6. And then later on in chapter 19, the Lord is going to return on his white horse. So all of these are patterns that's in there. Last week, we, we left off with, the fact that Jesus is now sitting on the right hand of God. So I want to I reveal that pattern more in depth with us this day. As this is pointing to the Lord of all the earth, it said, who would one day come again and reign. And we want to see what that looks like. So last week we said he was sitting on the right hand of God waiting until that word go is given to him. Waiting for the time that he would come. Psalm 110. That's where we get... Uh, the, the Old Testament version that says, this is David speaking, and he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies my footstool. And David knew he wasn't talking about himself, but he was talking about one who would come from his bowels, but would also be his Lord. And he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou at the right hand till I make your enemies the footstool. This is going to be the one that will be the rod of strength out of Zion. Remember those two mountains? We said that probably one of them represented Zion and one of them represented the Mount of Olives where the Lord will be returning to on that time when his feet come down. He says, you will rule in the midst of your enemies in that time. The Lord has sworn it and he won't repent. And thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So there we have the order of the priesthood and the kingship. On the Lord who said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand. So it's all pointing to Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 5, The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through those kings in the day of his wrath. So whose wrath is it? It's the day of the Lord of his wrath when he's going to return. And he will judge among the heathen. And he will fill the places with the dead bodies. And he will wound the heads of many countries. So this psalm speaks of that very pattern that we're looking at for, for going to the end of days and that the one who will be a king and a priest that will reign forever and ever upon his throne. And then the Lord quoted this very message of Psalm 110 to the scribes and Pharisees. They were trying to trick him with some questions about who will this guy be married to since he had a brother that his wife went to this one and this one and, and the Lord quoted this to him says I'll tell you let me tell you a parable and he said unto them in Luke 20 how say they that the Christ is David's son now how could the Christ be David's son when David himself said in the book of Psalms the Lord said to my Lord sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool and David therefore called him Lord how is he then his son and for them to be able to say that, they would have to say that, that he was also the son of God along with being a son of David, of taking that throne. And they did not want to try to answer that question. And they left off and no one was going to ask him more questions. And then last week we had the passage in Acts chapter 2. Uh, in verse 33. So now that was Jesus quoting the psalm from David. But now we have Peter giving the first gospel message on that day of Pentecost. And 
he's telling them about this Lord Jesus that you've crucified is now both Lord and Christ. But he starts it off with going through the sermon. And he says in verse 33 of Acts 2, Therefore, this Jesus is at the right hand of God, and he is exalted, and he's having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is what you see today that's been shed forth and what you see and hear. David is not ascended into heaven yet, but he saith of himself that the Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. This is a pretty important passage of Scripture, isn't it? Because it's one of the most quoted, and it goes from, from David to Jesus to Peter, and it's quoted again later. And he says, but therefore, since this one, Jesus, is the one who is sitting at the right hand of God, waiting for that time, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus, that you have crucified both Lord and Christ. And we, we saw that, and he goes on to say, that at that point, they were pricked in their hearts. Because they now see that they had crucified the Son of God. That God now has exalted to his right hand. He is there waiting until he makes the enemies his footstools and comes back at that time. And they have been now convicted in their hearts. And they said unto him, unto Peter, and to the rest of them, men and brethren, what should we do? That should be the question of those who don't know Christ today. What do I do then now that I realize that he is both Lord and Christ and exalted to the right hand of God and one day he's coming back? What shall we do? The same thing that Peter told him. The next verse in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, he said, repent then. That means to change your thought processes. It, it means to, I, I did not believe, so we crucified him. But now... The words that you have told me has caused me to believe that he is exalted and Lord in Christ. So what do I do now? Okay, you now believe in that. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is a promise to you, to your children, to those who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with any, many other words, he encouraged them. And that day, 3,000 souls were added to the body of Christ. And so that was the, the message that came forth from the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. But then we move on. And I love this one. It's Hebrews chapter 10. And I... Here's what I was telling you, Holly, this morning. She got on to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call her out. She got on to me. And she said, you know what you always do? You always say, we'll talk about that next week. And then a lot of times you don't. And I said, I'm sorry. I got that ADHD. I'll tell you more about that with, with Midwest at the end. How that I forget some things. Uh, I get wound up in here, and I forget half of everything that went on and what people told me. I just get drained in the spirit kind of but one day <laughs> i'm not going to promise next week but one day we're going to study this whole chapter of, of hebrews chapter 10 i'm going to quit making promises i'll just say one day we're going to study this because this is such a great chapter but it's got some patterns in it that we need to be aware of and in verses 9 through 13 
it says this about our Lord who is now exalted and on that right hand of God. It says, then he said, lo, this is Jesus as he came into this world, born of a virgin, and there in Bethlehem. And it says, then he said, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. And he taketh away the first that he may establish the second. And he's talking about the covenants here, the old and the new. By the which will, that will of God, we are sanctified. Man, you know what that means? That means you're cleansed and set apart for something different than you were. That means we used to be a part of that worldly system that Ephesians said when we started. But now we have been washed and sanctified and set apart as servants unto God. So he says, you are sanctified. How? Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. That work he did upon the cross sealed it once and for all so that faith in him. And every priest at that time used to stand daily ministering and offering all those offerings and all of those animals every day which could never take away sin. But this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, after he had offered his one sacrifice on the cross for sins, forever set down on the right hand of God. And from henceforth, from that time forward, he is expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. You see, it hasn't happened yet, has it? Here is something that it has not happened as of yet because the book of Hebrews tells us that though he has been exalted to the right hand of the Father, that he's sitting on the throne at his right side, that he is Lord in Christ, he is still waiting for the time of the Gentiles to be fulfilled so that he can come and return again to take back his kingdom. He is expecting it. And you look at that word, it, seems, it says that with eagerness. You remember those horses that we studied about last week in Zechariah? How that those horses were eagerly going to and fro, the dappled ones, the strong steeds among them. Why? They were looking that those throughout all of those tribulations that would be saved. They, they were eager to do that job. They wanted to find those like brands being plucked out of a fire. And this says that Jesus is eagerly awaiting the time when the, the last person believes in Christ that's going to in this generation of the church age. And then the Father will say, go and start redeeming your kingdom and you're going to start by getting your bride. And he is expecting that to happen right at this time. The book of Hebrews says, I came to do your will. I redeemed you from sin. You're going to be my bride and I cannot wait to take you. Whenever you was going to get married, could you not wait for that day and to be able to take your bride? Yeah, and Jesus is that way now. He's saying, I can't wait to go and get it. He took away the curse of the law on the cross. He done away with the first to establish the second. We no longer have the different Sabbath days that they had when they came and, and worshipped on the day of Pentecost and on the Passover and all those things. It, the New Testament version, he took away that. Now we worship like today on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day when he resurrected. He is expecting until he comes because he took the old out and he brought in the new and he brought in the forgiveness of sins one time for all. And he can't wait, not only for his bride, but until he makes his enemies his footstool. 
And these patterns you see keep emerging throughout the word of God. And so what's that time going to look for? He's promised that, that there's a time coming, but what does it look like? Well, first let's start with that promise. The promise was made in John chapter 14, if you want to go there. Oh, wait a minute, I'm not done with, with Hebrews yet, am I? Yeah, give me that one. See, I started to go too fast. Hang on, slow this, slow your chariot down. In, the, in a minute, we're going to talk about Philip and the eunuch, and he's going to say, stop the chariot. I'm not stopping it. I'm just going to slow it down for a minute. Let me get back on track here. Okay, so in Hebrews 10, 21, after he's expecting to be able to come, it says, we now have a high priest over the house of God. That's what Zechariah 6 was about and pointing to, right? That he'd be a king and a priest, Jesus. He says, we now have a high priest over the house of God. You and I then, it says, we are to draw near to God with a true heart. Why? Because now we can have a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There's that redemption, that sanctification, that setting apart that we have. And then now what happens in that full assurance of faith that we have? Now what happens in verse 24? It goes on to say, here's what you do now. We consider each other. Consider one another, the body of Christ, your brothers and sisters that are here. Consider each other. We are to exhort each other, to care for each other, to provoke one another to love and good works in this time. We, in, in other words, we are to encourage each other in the hard times. One day I'm having a hard time. You're supposed to encourage me and help lift that up. When you have a hard time, I am to encourage you. We are to encourage each other. Because I'm going to tell you, the world's not going to encourage you in that way. And that's why you have the body of Christ. And that's why also, as we do that, what do you need to do? You've got to know who the body of Christ is, right? And who it is that we are supposed to help as one another. So here we go. Verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 10. We are in, to encourage each other by not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner or the habit of some is, but do not do that. Why do you not forsake the assembling of yourselves together? Well, first off, every week we're going to commune with the Lord and remember what he did for us on that cross in communion, aren't we? We're going to do that, and that is an, a great encouragement because every week I can realize that he said, this is my body, this was my blood, it's my new covenant, and it's for you. And as I take of that, I am in communion with him and remembering what he did and I am encouraged to go out and face that world again this week. But for us together, we do that because hard times are coming. As you, Because he says, so much the more you are to, to not forsake the assembling of yourselves as the manner of some is, but to encourage each other and so much the more as you see what? The what? What day? There you go, the day of the Lord. You see, it's pointing to that time that Jesus is eagerly expecting, as it said just above that, to come back for his bride. It says, as you see that day approaching, it's a good day for those in Christ 
But it'll be a bad day for those who aren't. So encourage each other that you don't fall off and fall away from that. But encourage as you see the day approaching even more active. We don't see the day approaching now, do we? Do you, do you think it's approaching? Hey, really? So what are we supposed to be doing? Not forsaking what we're doing today and encouraging each other to sharpen each other, to help each other, because that day is approaching, and as that day approaches, the trials, the problems, the different things are going to happen, and it's going to make life tougher, so you need a community to help you with the things that are going to be going on. Don't forsake that. Why? Verse 27. Because we are looking to the day when the Lord returns to make his enemies and our enemies his footstool. The day of judgment and fiery indignation against the adversaries that are there. And that's what was getting ready to happen in Zechariah 6 when we saw the chariots and the horses going from the mountains of bronze and, and brass. And we saw the crowning of the Lord coming after that. So it was a pattern for us today. Now drop down to verse 30. See, I had to slow that chariot down. I can't get away from to John 14 yet. Vengeance is the Lord's, verse 30. So in other words, we're not going to enact the vengeance, are we? It's not our place to. Whatever happens and whatever this world is throwing out at us, it says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And the Lord will judge his people and he goes on to say it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And then in verse 36, for this reason, we are to be patient. We are to stay strong. We are to encourage one another to do the will of God that we might hang fast and receive that promise of his reward. Amen? That's what it looks like because, look at verse 37, just a little while longer. How long? It's just a little while, isn't it? It's not way out there. He says, a little while longer. For he, you know, he might not come in my lifetime, but my lifetime's going to be just a little while longer. <laughs> it's not going to be a lot while longer. It's going to be a little while longer. So he says, hang on then for a little while longer. For he that shall come. In other words, your day of being called up into glory shall come. And it will come. The day that shall come will come. And it's a promise. He said it that way twice to know that it shall. And people will say no, but it will. It will come. And he will not tarry when the Father gives him the word. You know, I tell you over and over that that's the way Revelation starts in, in chapter 1 and verse 3. He says, I'm going to reveal to you what the, the Father is revealing about Jesus, what Jesus then is to show in this book to his servants of the things that must what? Shortly come to pass. And we always talk about that word means a tachometer, that it's in idle, but when it starts happening, that tachometer just hits the floor when the gas is hit and the word goes given and things go quickly. And that's what he's saying. The day that shall come will come, and when it comes, he will not tarry. It'll be swift. So when do we have to make our decision for Christ? Right now. That's right. Because we don't know. It, it can be Zoom and it's over. You don't have another choice. 
So, it says, he that will come will not come and he will not tarry. And your question is, well, if that's the case, then what am I to look for, right? Man, I'm glad you asked that. Because that's what I got here. I'm going to tell you about it. Because uh, that's what I wanted to know too. So that's where the Spirit's been leading us here in Zechariah, to where that is. And so about the memorial of those crowns up in the temple, looking for the day when he will come to claim those crowns, but also his bride. And there's a sermon that he gave right before he died and went to the cross. It's called an Olivet Discourse. And it's found in Matthew 24, and it's found in Luke 21, and in Mark 13. And it points to a lot of things. And we're going to go there in a minute. But first, <clears throat> I want to take you to John 14. Because John 14 is where he made his promise to us. That this is what he was going to do. That after he's exalted to the right hand of the Father, there's something before he makes his enemies his footstool he's going to do. And see, in, in the previous chapter, in chapter 13, they're ready for the, they're doing the Passover meal. This is his last meal. They're getting ready to come and get him tonight and take him to the cross and to go through all of those different trials in that night. But as, as he does, the, the devil put it into Judas's heart to betray him. And so he left and he, and he went on to, to go grab those guys to betray Jesus. And then Jesus gave this message to those who were left. You know who they were? The believers. You know, this was to those who were still believing in him, still hanging on. How many has dropped off over the course of time? I remember in John 6, I think it is, at the very end of it, whenever he gave a hard lesson about, well, you're going to have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood if you want to be a part of me. And the people said, that's a hard saying. And we can't do that. And the scripture says that many people left that day and never came back. And he turned to his disciples and said, will you go as well? And he said, you have the words of eternal life. Where else would we go? And so how many people has dropped off? And now finally Judas has dropped off and went away to betray him. So all that's left is 11 believers like us out of the world. And Jesus said, now that you all are here, I'm getting ready to go away. And they said, no, and we'll fight for you, and I'll never deny you. And, and chapter 13 ends with Jesus telling them, yeah, you will, and especially you will, Peter. And then you turn to chapter 14, and Jesus says this, though, but don't let your hearts be troubled about what I'm telling you. And that's what we started off with. The words that are in this Bible were made to enlighten us, not to frighten us. And so he said, let not your hearts be troubled about what's getting ready to happen. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house there are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. But I am going there to prepare a place for who? Put your name there. He's gone there to... This wasn't just... This is to all of us. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And that's a promise. And then he made this promise. If I go and prepare the place for you, I will what? I'm going to come again. I'm going to come again. Why? Because I want to receive you to be my own. That where I am, there you'll be also. His desire is for us to be there. So when we see these things coming around, it's not to frighten us, but to to give us reason to be excited about what's getting ready to happen with us. So let's go to Matthew 24. 
but as you're turning there, I'm going to Daniel chapter 12 first. Because what I want to see is, is as that day approaching, to encourage each other as you see that day approaching, well, what are some of the clues that the Bible has of what that day might be that is approaching? What would it look like to me? Would it be something I can recognize and, and know? Because it tells us in Thessalonians that you are not children of darkness, that you should be taken by surprise, but that you should know that the time is getting right. So what would that look like then? Well, in Daniel chapter 12, it says that at that time shall Michael the archangel stand up. Yeah, that great prince that stands up for your people, and that's Israel. Michael is the archangel who watches over Israel. And I've told you before that a lot of these people out there that are on TV and writing books and wanting you to buy them, they're saying, oh, where's America at in the Bible? And we're the ones that's got to protect Israel. And, well, God may use us to help, but it's God that protects Israel. It's God that takes care of him. And you know what he's got? He's got an archangel named Michael that is more powerful than the entire weaponry of the United States of America that's watching over his people. So he may use us in some way, but it is not America's destiny to be on their own, the one who saves Israel or the world. It's God who will, and he will use Michael, the archangel. And he says, he's the one who stands for thy people. And there shall come a time of trouble such as there never was since a nation was there. Even to that same time, there, you're never going to see anything like will happen in that day. And at that time, though, thy people that believe shall be delivered. Everyone whose name is found written in the book of life will be delivered. Some's going to sleep in the dust of the earth, and they'll wake some to everlasting life. And some to everlasting condemnation. What separates that is belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And he goes on in John chapter 3 to tell Nicodemus that, that those who do not believe in me are condemned already. Because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So that's how your name gets written in the Lamb's book of life. And then... Uh, they that are wise shall be righteousness as the stars forever and ever. They will shine as the brightness of the firmament. And then they will turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. This morning I had to write something down on that that I didn't get before. As we go through this life and as that time is coming. It says it's our duty to turn other people to this way as well so that they will receive that shining too i'm going to date myself a little bit when i was about my grandson's age i was probably somewhere between 10 and 13 14 i don't know if you if you're old enough to remember these but i had this electronic football game because i loved football and it had the browns colors on it and i was a raider fan <laughs> yeah it, but but you'd plug it in and it had this little green metal top and these little guys that had like little brushes on them underneath and when you turned it on it would vibrate and hum and it'd go and these little guys they're they're supposed to play football but did they play football what was most of them doing 
you'd have one spinning around in a little circle back here and your running back that you'd put that little fake foam ball under his arm. The running back's going the wrong way and you're like, nope, I'm, I have to what? Turn him around because he was going the wrong way. This world is like that because it's vibrating like chaos and we got people running around in circles. We got people running the wrong way and we need somebody that can stand there and turn people to the right way. And Daniel, is, the angel is telling him, saying, man, in those times, when that time comes, you've got to turn people around to the right way because it's just going to be chaotic. And then in verse 4, he says this, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words of this book right now and seal it because it's not time for it. Its time will come at the end of time. And then at the end of time, and he gives two clues there. He says, so he says, seal up the book even to the time of the end when many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. You'll begin to learn more about the things that's going to take place at the end as the end approaches and you see those things. So now, let's start out with those two as we look to see. Let's take number one, many shall run to and fro. Well, it's really kind of talking about global transportation, isn't it? The ability for everybody to start going to and fro. And as I got to thinking about this, Jonah, almost at this time, about 3,000 years ago, Jonah, when he was told to go to Nineveh, where did he go? Tarsus. And, and where, was he, where was he at when he ran away? What was he... What was he floating in I'll give you a clue he's floating in a boat right he was floating in this ship and they they ended up the storm came and they throw him overboard and and the great fish has to swoop in that's a story for another day <laughs> but but that was 3,000 years ago and they they were traveling around in a what boat a ship and sails no no motor or anything 3,000 years ago they're floating around in a boat a thousand years later, in the year 2,000 years ago, Paul, when he went on his missionary journeys, how did he travel from one continent to another? Boat. He got shipwrecked a couple times too, didn't he? And spent a day and a night out in the deep and stuff. So from Jonah's time to that time, nothing had changed really, had it? They were all floating around in a boat. Okay, Let's go to 500 years ago, another 1,492 years past that. Did you learn the same rhyme I did in school to remember when Columbus came? In 1492, Columbus... You guys did learn the same thing, man. We had the same teachers. Columbus sailed the ocean blue. So, in 1492, they were still doing what? Still sailing around on boats. Same thing Jonah did, same thing Paul did, Christopher Columbus did. You go 500 years later, or 250 years ago, uh, 250 years after that, Ben Franklin, whenever they was getting ready for this revolutionary war and all the different things, how did he get back to Europe to go talk to him? Boat. What, what did we have to show our independence? We had a tea party. From the boats that were out there bringing the stuff in, right? 
Things didn't change from 3,000 years ago to just a couple of hundred years ago on traveling to and fro. But then all of a sudden, the steam engine came out. And then they started putting steam engines on boats. And then after that, that led to uh, the combustible engine, the internal combustion engine. And that led to people making applications for that into what? Automobiles and then airplanes. And we had the Wright brothers who that thing that was impossible made that big thing fly about 14 feet and then it came down. So, but, but it started. And then it got better and more perfected. And then you had Alan out there working on them airplanes at American Airlines and they would travel everywhere, wouldn't they? Do you know how many people traveled in 2018? You had to go there because after 2019, pretty much travel kind of toned down a little bit with this virus thing. But in 2018, do you know how many people flew in airplanes? Close. 4.3 billion. <laughs> 4.3 billion people paid for tickets on airplanes with 37.8 million scheduled flights. So almost 38 million flights carrying over 4 billion people. Can I check off the box that many shall run to and fro when those days start to appear? I think so. What about knowledge has increased? Man, we can go back to the Egyptian times and the times of uh, Abraham and Noah and all of those. How was knowledge passed on? Word of mouth. And they carved on some things too. They found some, some stone carvings, that the cylinders that had like laws on them. And you can see the caves or the monuments in Egypt where they've carved and painted different things. But most of it was word of mouth. That was how knowledge was communicated from one to another. And if you weren't there to grab that that time, you didn't get it, did you? That stayed for years and years. What did they write the scriptures on from the time of Moses all the way through to the time of Jesus? Scrolls made out of papyrus. Things didn't change. But all of a sudden, come around the 1400s again, a guy named Johannes Gutenberg invented what? And with that, we started going, didn't we? And after he invented the printing press, they started saying, we can put together magazines and books. And it took a while, but the first book he made was the Bible. And then after that, they started trying to perfect it. But it was about 1784 when the very first newspaper came out. The very first daily newspaper wasn't until 1784 from all the way back 4,000, 5,000 years ago to that point. Nothing had changed but then huh I did a paper route a couple of times but when they started beating me up over my collections I said we got to go to something else so you know what they did they went to cable TV <laughs> you know after that everybody started getting their news on cable TV didn't they they started oh then we started to be able to see what was going on somewhere else because then they put up what in the sky? Satellites. Satellites. Was you like me and had to go out and get one of them big 10-foot dishes to try, to try to go and to find G4 and G2? 
And my daughter and I, we loved, um, and Sue, we loved to, to try to find at night, they called them wild feeds. So they, they didn't have regular channels, but they had a whole bunch of wild feeds that if they had a ball game, like if the Pacers were playing, you would search those different columns trying to find the wild feed that was coming from via satellite from that arena to somewhere else. And so then you had these wild feeds. And then they said, oh, there's too many people finding these wild feeds, so we're going to go to fiber optics. And we're, we're going to make it to where the cable runs into your house, and you're going to have to pay for everything that you want to watch. But it wasn't until the 1980s that this stuff started coming around. And then there was something called a personal computer. And the personal computer came out in the 80s, but it wasn't until 2000 that 50% of the homes had computers. In the 1990s, it was satellite dishes for TV. So in the last 30 years, we've went from those type of things and papyrus and books over 4,000 years to grabbing your phone and saying, hey, Google, or hey, Siri, tell me this. And it can tell you just about anything you want to know of in this world, right? Except you've got to worry about one thing. You know what was the one thing Jesus is going to say in a minute to worry about in this time? Deception. <laughs> because you see, once knowledge starts increasing and the availability of knowledge, then anybody can put anything out there and deceive us. And so as this time comes around, the Lord says, make sure that you're not deceived by anyone. What's our one book that goes back to the truth? This one. Yeah, the Bible, the Word of God. That's, that's the one thing that comes back to the truth. So he says, don't go out there listening to just anyone. There's going to be many false prophets, many false Christs. There's going to be false information. You've got to go back to the truth. But you didn't have to worry about that until the last 30 years. And now today, Apple come out with their iPhone 13 that has more computing power than the business and home computers had 10 years ago in that one little phone. Can we check off the box that knowledge is increasing? I think so. Pardon? Not wisdom, but knowledge, right? Yeah, the, the availability of knowing something, but wisdom surely is going downhill these days, isn't it? And that was another thing that he said with that. So the next thing <clears throat> that he said... He said, don't take, he said, take heed <clears throat> that no man deceive you. Jesus said in verse 5 of Matthew 24, if you're there, because they asked him a question. You see, they were all impressed with that big temple and, and how beautiful it was. And they said, boy, look at this, Lord, because he just got into it with, with some of the, the priests and the Sanhedrin. And so they, they were like a little bit shook up because of that argument they had. And they're like, oh, Lord, let's change the subject. Woo! How about them bears? Uh, how about, well, look at the temple, how, how big it is and beautiful. And he said, you know what? In verse 4, there's not going to be one stone left upon another that will not be cast down. Now, at that time, they, they could not believe that, could they? I mean, it's like, there's no way, Lord. You know how big these stones are? Do you know what? There's no way. That is one of the prophecies in the Word of God that should increase your faith because you can... You can ask Google or ask Siri to show me the stones that was cast down from the Jewish temple by the Romans 
and it will show you still. They, I've watched a documentary, and they left half of the stones there just so that you could see that they were actually cast down and thrust down and stuck there in the ground, just as the Lord said it would. So if the Lord said that that was going to happen, and it did, the pattern of the Word of God says that everything else that He said about what's going to happen will happen. Because I tell the truth, and this is a proof that I'm telling you that I know what's happening, and so the rest of everything will surely come to pass. So don't let anyone deceive you. Go to my word and look at it. One of the things that he said was that look for in those talks on the Olivet Discourse was earthly disasters. Now, take a look at this slide we got up here. It may be a little hard to see, but it says natural disasters from 1900 to 2009. It says that all of, all of the things like earthquakes and floods and all of the storms are going to start taking place as you see those times nearing. Has there been a trajectory in the last 110 years? Boy, I think we can check that box off, can't we? Because it sure looks like the natural disasters are peaking up. How about just earthquakes? Earthquakes of a number six magnitude or above that really shakes up and does damage. Give me the next one, Miss T. Woo, look what's been happening in a, since 1900 in just the last, that goes to t about 2011. But look what, what had been happening. I can tell you now you can go to the USGS site. That's United States Geological Service. And you can go in there and, and, and you can play around with it and say, I want to see earthquakes worldwide from this year to that year. And I can tell you that those have almost doubled again. Is it an alarming trajectory of what the Lord said to look for? I'm, I'm thinking it is. And again, these aren't to frighten us, it's to enlighten us. That maybe it's time to look up because our redemption might be nigh. You know, how about another thing that was given in the book of Revelation that, that you would be seeing whenever that time comes? How about the uh, global ability to track you and to be able to monitor what you buy or sell because there's going to come a time that you will not be able to do any of that stuff unless you have the mark of the... Yeah. So in Revelation 11, what you've had is you've had these two witnesses of God that have came. And they were around preaching the word of God. And if, and if someone tried to destroy them, there was a fire that proceeded from them. And they were able to destroy back until the time that... The, the beast was, one of the beasts was allowed to come out and ascend from the bottomless pit. And it says that then the beast that ascends from the bottomless pit shall make war against those two witnesses and will overcome them and he will kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of that great city. Oh, it's Sodom and Gomorrah. That means it's been filled with wickedness. But it's also the place where our Lord was crucified. And then it says in verse 9, and they of the people of the world, the kindreds, the tongues, and the nations shall see their dead bodies for three days and a half. And their bodies are not going to be buried in the grave, but they're going to be visible. And all of the people of every tongue and nation will be able to see it. And it says they're all rejoicing because of this. 
It says, and they that dwell upon the earth. And we're not earth dwellers, are we? Where's our citizenship? So every time in the book of Revelation it talks about those who dwell on the earth, it's talking about those who do not know Christ Jesus as their Lord and has made their home as a destination in the heavenly realm. And we are citizens of heaven. Jesus said what to Pilate? He said, my kingdom is not of this what? Neither is mine. So, but the ones that are upon this world and dwell there, they're rejoicing over the fact that these two witnesses of God are killed because they, they had tormented the people with the word of God and salvation. They had been tormented by that. And they were happy to see him dead. But my point is in verse 9, could that have happened in the day that John wrote this? Could every nation of the world see those dead bodies lying in the street? No. Remember, we just now came up as we talked a minute ago about cable TV and then all the way up to, from dishes to satellite TV. And now that you have satellite TV, you can see everything that goes on. And now, you know what was on the front page of even Bloomberg and the Wall Street Journal the last 14 days? It said, every eye in the world is on Russia and Ukraine. That's the same thing that is said right here in Revelation. That every eye, every nation and people was able to see what was going on. And that could not happen until now, could it? Looks like we can check that box off too of things that's going on in this world that would cause us to say that this time might be coming. Now, Revelation 13. Revelation 13 is an eerie chapter now. Um... One day we'll study it in depth. <laughs> I, gotta, I do. I want to study everything with you. I, I want to study everything and I want to be able to share it all with you. But Revelation 13, man, it's, there's a sinister guy that's going to come on the scene and he's going to appear like he's going to take a deadly head wound and die. But he's going to come back to life again. And then it says, Then the power was given to this one to make war. And that all that dwell on the earth. So that's not us, is it? Because we're not earth dwellers. But all that dwell on the earth will worship him whose names are not written in the book of life. See, the Lord keeps giving us that pattern of things. We're not earth dwellers. Our names are written in the book of life. But this is applying to all of those who aren't yet. And it says, he will cause them all in verse 16. All. How many is that? All of us. All that are here, small and great, rich, poor, free and bond to receive the mark on their hand. That's how I know that I'm probably not going to be present at that time. I'm either going to be raptured before that time or I'm going to have my head cut off with the guillotine before that time for the witness of the Lord Jesus Christ because I don't want to have to take the mark upon my forehead or my hand. And it says all who are left that are still dwelling upon the earth will have to do that. Uh, they that no man might be able to buy or sell save he have that mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So there to do that you have to have some sort of ability to track that don't you? You have to have to be able to say that everyone has to have it and that you're not going to be able to buy or sell unless you have that. 
There's got to be some way to enforce that, to make that happen. Could that have happened a hundred years ago? I mean, 50 years ago, could they around the world be able to, to, to do that and enforce it? It's only now. And what helped further that? This pestilence, one of the other things that's talked about, because with the pestilence that started coming, they started giving out. We haven't really went to it in a lot here. They tried it in a couple cities. But you, wouldn't, you would not believe the countries that have a what? Digital pass. And that digital pass means that you can't go in and do this or you can't go into those places unless you've done everything they've told you to do. And that thing gives you the check mark so that whenever you, you take your electronic digital pass and shine it under the light and it goes bleep, it's either going to be you've still got something to do so you're not allowed to come in or you, you are good, come on in and get what you need. But that couldn't happen until these days and they're still perfecting that. So even that is coming around the bend and getting close. So now, the Lord said, this is a warning to those who aren't in me, but to those who are, it's to enlighten you, not to frighten you. I promise that I'm going to a place to prepare a place for you in my Father's house, that where I am, there you may be also. I, I want to be not subjected to that, but I want to be going to that home in heaven. So, uh, he says, I will come back to receive my own. And then the Lord said in Luke 21, as we get ready to close, there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth there will be distress of nations with perplexity and the sea and the waves roaring. And then it says this, men's hearts failing them for fear looking after those things which are coming upon the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and with great glory. And when these things come to pass, you and I are to what? Look up. Because our redemption is nigh. But if you are not in Christ Jesus, to us it's, it's a good thing. He says, look up. Your redemption is here. But to the rest of the world, they're doing what? Dying of heart attacks and fear. It says, says that what they're doing is they're, they're passing out. They're failing him, their hearts, for fear, looking after the things they see. When they see these things, they're fearful. When we see these things, we look up and say, Come, Lord Jesus, come. So as our praise team comes on back up, and this lesson is yours for today, it seemed right at this time in Zechariah's book when we've been talking about the the horses the mountains the the crowns and the crowning of our lord uh, jesus that it was expecting that day well guess what the lord's expecting this day that we're talking about he's expecting that time when he can return for us and our redemption would draw nigh and that's good news for those that are in christ but for those that aren't it's bad news and so like those men um, that when Peter gave that gospel sermon in Acts 2 and they said, what shall we do? Well, we, we listed that one. Well, here's another one in Acts chapter 8. It says the story of Philip and the eunuch and, and the, the Holy Spirit toward, told Philip to go join himself to that chariot that was out there. So he went running 
And he was standing beside that chariot as it was, it was going along. And he heard him reading from the book of Isaiah. And it was a eunuch that was going back to where uh, he came. He'd come here to worship God. And so Philip joining up next to him says, Hey, do you understand what you're reading? He said, No. Uh, is this guy talking about himself, the prophet? Is he talking to himself or is he talking to someone else? What's going on? And he said, Come on up in here. He said, and how, Well, do you know what he's saying? No, how can I unless someone teach me? So he said, Come on, hop up in here. So he's in the chariot riding with this guy. And it says that he opened his mouth at that same scripture and taught him Jesus. You can take any page in the Old Testament and go to Jesus. He said, I am on every page of that Old Testament. Some part of it points to me. And he began teaching him about Jesus and about that work on the cross and about salvation and what you needed to do by faith to express that faith. And he, and he taught him about water and imitating in the baptistry that we have the water here. You imitate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of a new life in Christ. And how do I know that's what he taught him? Because that next verse says that he said, uh, See, here is water what hinders me to be baptized. So that's what he had to tell, tell him. Was that this is by faith what you do because it imitates that death, burial, and resurrection that was for you. And by faith you do it too to prove that that's what you believe in. And he said, here's water. What hinders me then of following that? And he said, if you believe in the Lord Jesus and all these things that I taught you, nothing stands in your way. Come on and do it. And it says, so he said, stop the chariot. And they both got out of the chariot and they both went into the water. And the Holy Spirit makes it clear. He says, both Philip and the eunuch got into the water. So you don't do that in a little cup. You've got to both get into the water to be able to be baptized. And whenever he baptized him, the spirit caught away Philip and the eunuch came up rejoicing. And that's the last we really ever hear about him. But that's the pattern that the Lord put in there about what salvation and faith represents. And now, I'm going to tell you about Midwest before I close, okay? Because we only got, after this, there, you'll have a pantry in the back after the communion with the Lord, but it's only half of what it should have been. And it was all my fault. I'll confess that before you right now, that it was my fault. In February, they sent me an email that says, we need you to fill out these forms to see if anything's changed. Well, it was supposed to be due by sometime in March. And when I look on your phone, you know, that little gadget now that has all that knowledge. So I was like, oh, well, that's a month away. I'm out here traveling. I can just put that back. Well, they sent one more, but it was the same process. I'm busy during the day. I'm not right there to be able to turn that in. So I didn't turn it in. So we drive all the way up to Midwest for an hour getting up there. And I knew something was coming on because the lady that was at the desk was not the, any of the normal ones. So she didn't know me from Adam. But when I walked in, she said, you from Paragon? <laughs> yeah. I said, yeah, I'm from Paragon. She went, oh, how's Paragon? I said, it's fine. You know, and then I start signing my name on the sheet that I'm here. Well, I look up, and here comes another lady, and she goes, Are you from Paragon? Are you Daryl? Yeah. She said, My name's Crystal Thompson. And I thought, Crystal Th the lady from the emails. 
I said, yeah, the emails, didn't I? I go, oh, the emails. I'll, she goes, I can't serve you today. You didn't fill them out. You didn't send them to me. For the first time, I was 20 minutes early. And I said, I've got 20 minutes. I've got it on my phone. Let me go fill it out. She said, no. It had to be turned in last week. So you cannot get your food this week. I'll save you some trouble. I'll resend that to you so that you don't have to look it up where you stuck it. And I'll, I'll resend it and you fill it out. I'll let you be served next month. But this month, you're not going to be served. Boy, on the ride home, we were upset and a little bit mad. And we were like, if they thought all of this out to have the lady watching out for me all day, and are you from Paragon, and all of that kind of stuff, they could have saved me an hour there and an hour back by just sending me a 30-second text that you didn't fill out your form, so don't bother coming in today. When you fill it out, we will send it, right? But they didn't do that. And she said, oh, well, I'm busy too. And I'm wearing many hats because we don't have volunteers enough. So I, I didn't follow up anymore. Well, how was that my fault? But, and so we were a little upset. You could have saved me with all that. But then as I was this morning going over this lesson and coming to Philip and the eunuch and making that decision for Christ, you know what I got to thinking about? The Lord's word's been in there all this time, hasn't it? I mean, he sent it to us. He gave it to us what he expects out of us in this life. And when I show up at that time to say, hey, I'm here at the pearly gates to pick up, you know, here I am. And they're going to go, sorry, can't serve you today because you didn't do what I told you to do. No matter how much I think I'm in the right, and I had a good reason they're still going to say it's our place, our rules, and you didn't follow it, so I'm sorry. And I use what happened to me to share with you that not to let that happen to you. If you have not named Christ as your Savior, don't stick it in your holder and say, I'll get to it sometime. I've got time. It's a month before I got to go pick up. Today is the day of salvation because I'm going to tell you, if you put it off, you're going to forget about it sometime and we're not promised tomorrow. And no matter how many excuses we've got, no matter how right I think I am and why I haven't done what he's asked me to do, they're still going to say, I told you and it was in my book and how many times have you heard it and read it? And I am sorry. And Jesus gave the pattern when he said, I will say to them when they say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all of these works? And didn't I prophesy? And didn't I give these things? And he'll say, but I never knew you. Why? Because I never did what he asked me to do. So I pray that you will not let that happen to you. And to serve as an example of why we got a lean pantry is because I made a mistake. But I can use that mistake for our good. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord, right? So we can use that mistake to say, we don't want that to happen to us in the most important thing in the world, and that's our soul. And Father, we just humbly bow. 
And everything that you've given us in your word is true. And there's so many clues and so many warnings, but so many things of love and how that I've redeemed you and I've taken you from that power of darkness and translated you into the kingdom of light. And Father, my prayer and my wish is that those who hear your word through this vessel of yours each week, that we do the things that you put in there for us to do, that we might be your humble servants. And so, Father, as we take your word, this lesson, home with us, may it build upon us a foundation of faith. But most importantly also, may it glorify and exalt you as Lord God, Creator, the one who has translated us. And we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that you give us that promise and for your word that guides us and gives us all the information that we need for wisdom and knowledge in this world. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.